You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Messages. Okay, a little, little bit more there. I, I, I ask that uh, because when you, when you handwrite a letter for the five of you that still do, or you send a text message, you typically expect that the person will read the whole thing in one sitting, Correct. Yes, and so I'm asking that question um, to jump right in today as, as we have been going through the book of Ephesians. Sometimes we have to stop and remember that the book of Ephesians was written as a letter. It, it was a letter written by Paul, one whole single letter that he would have sent to this church with the reasonable expectation that they would read the whole thing at once. And that would have been important to him because, you know, you wouldn't get a letter from your grandma and read a couple of lines and then fold it back up and stick it in a drawer and say, I'll read a couple more next week. You would read the whole thing so that you could see all of what it was she wanted to say to you. Well, I'm not saying we're doing something wrong whenever we take a book of the Bible like this and we, you know, we hit sections of it as we walk through and try and get a deeper understanding of the scripture. But I'm telling you that because Paul, you know, whenever we jump into Ephesians chapter four, verse 17 today, he would have had the reasonable expectation that everybody hearing that would have heard Ephesians chapter one through chapter four, verse 16. And he, he would have been building on the things that he was talking about in those other sections of scripture. And I would even encourage you at some point to, to read a book of the Bible, especially one of the letters, one of Paul's letters, to read the whole thing through in one sitting at some point. Even there are apps that let you take the chapters and the verses just out of it so you can't even see them. And you can just read the entire letter sort of as they would have in Ephesus when they first got it, getting to see Paul's entire line of thought from the beginning to end. And why that's important is because as we dive into the middle part of Ephesians chapter four this morning, we've, we've gotta know that this is one of those passages where Paul is saying, because of all of this that I've told you, now this. And if you don't know everything that he said before, you might look at the, okay, now this is what I'm telling you to do with it. And you might say, man, Paul, why are you, why are you coming at us like that? Like, why, are, why are you hitting us with all of this stuff so hard? And I'm not saying that if you, if you have, have missed a week in our series or if you, if you have, you know, this is your first time here for, for forever or for a long time, hey, welcome, we're so glad you're here. I'm just saying that for you, I'm gonna need to give about a 30-second overview of the book of Ephesians, which I promise will be woefully inadequate. But hopefully it'll help lay a foundation so we can see why Paul is going where he's going today. All right, here is my 30-second overview of Ephesians. Paul says that we should praise God if we have Jesus in our heart because we are secure in Christ. He has called us as his own. He has adopted us into his family. He has united us with himself. We were dead and we have been made alive again. And it is only by God's grace. 
And he's given us power. He's given us power to live confidently for him. He's given us power to to have reconciliation with our fellow believers. He's given us gifts so that we can be a blessing to both the community of faith around us and to all of those in our world who don't know Jesus and who need to know him. To sort of summarize all of that, if you are in Christ, meaning if you have accepted Jesus as your savior, as your Lord, because of his saving work on the cross for you, if you are in Christ, then you, I, all of our fellow believers, we have been given a new life. That's the brief overview of the book of Ephesians up to this point. If you are in Christ, you have been given a new life. Now, I have worked several different kinds of jobs in my life. When I was 16, I got my my very first job in food service. And I personally believe that everybody should have to work a job in food service at some point in their life because you will never be mean to those people again. (laughs) So those of you who are still in it. So I worked, I worked in a pizza restaurant and, you know, I was that guy who was behind, you know, flipping pizza dough and I worked bad hours and I made bad money and it was a great first job. And a little bit later on in my professional career, I got into retail. I sold uh, TVs and home theater electronics. And, you know, I know that this is going to be hard for you to believe. You're just going to have to trust me. Not a lot of skills carried over from that first job into that second job. <laughs> If you put pizza sauce on anything in an electronic store, they send you home. If you ever try to flip a flat screen TV up over your head, they probably send you to the hospital. What I'm trying to say is that whenever I got this new job, Along with it came a completely new skill set. I had to start doing something completely different because I was now a part of something completely different. And I'm just gonna give away my big point this morning. So if you've gotta cut out early, well, I guess it's a good day for it. My, my big thing this morning is that Paul, he has spent this whole book of Ephesians telling us that if we're in Christ, we've been given a new life, and where he's taking us today is that a new life should result in a new lifestyle. And so he, he's going he's gonna to tell us that, you know, your, your, a, new, a new way of being means a new set of behaviors. And it's so important that we don't put the cart before the horse here. Like there is a reason he spent the whole first part of Ephesians building on this idea that we are secure in Christ, that we find our identity in him. And he doesn't even start, you know, he doesn't even get into the, you know, do these things as a, as a believer. Because he wants you to know that you don't do these things to make God love you. You don't do these things and then you get to be a part of God's team. Like to jump back to my work analogy for a second, I was hired on to be a, a home theater electronic salesman before I was given the skills. Like they gave me that identity and then they trained me with the skills and the knowledge that I needed to do the job after I was already part of the team. In the same way, with our faith, you become a follower of Christ by the grace of God because you place your faith in Jesus. And it is only then that he starts saying, okay, now that you are a part of this, do these things. Your new life should result in a new lifestyle. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter four. We're gonna be starting in verse 17. We'll have it up here on the screen as well. You can follow along there. 
Paul writes, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. Now, Gentiles, if you don't know, that's just kind of a cultural appropriation of theirs. We could substitute in there, live no longer as the unbelievers do. Live no longer as people who don't follow Jesus live. For they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and they've hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and they eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Paul is saying, you, follower of Christ, your life should not look like the life of someone who doesn't follow Christ because that person, quite frankly, has no idea what they're doing. In his words, they are hopelessly confused. What that means is they're confused about the eternal nature of, of our life. They're confused about eternity and the reality that it means. It means that they look at creation and they don't see it as something beautiful that God created. It means that they look at other people and they don't see them as having inherent value. Or if they do, they think it's just because we're all stuck on this rock together and not because we were all created in the image of God. They, they're confused. They don't see the gravity of their sin. They don't see how it separates them from their creator. Their minds are closed off to this way of thinking. Their hearts are calloused and hardened against it. They probably don't even know it. And so Paul says, don't live like them. Don't emulate them. Don't do the things that they are doing. But I think sometimes that this, this can be a little difficult, especially, especially if you have been a follower of Jesus for a long time or you've been around church for a long time. Sometimes we kind of lose sight of this or sometimes we sort of wanna, you know, we sort of wanna dabble in the, in the world just a little bit because we, it's been a while or maybe it's been a, a, our whole lives that we haven't really experienced how unfulfilling it is to be apart from Christ. And we're, we, we aren't seeing that as, we, as hopeless confusion. Maybe we don't want to call it hopeless confusion. Maybe we want to say, oh, but, but my friends, you know, yeah, they don't know Jesus. They don't follow him, but they're good people, and they believe this. So maybe, you know, I could go that way too. Hopeless confusion. Oh, but, you know, I was, I was reading this author, and they say that it's okay if we live like this and if we do these things. Hopeless confusion. And we might be like, man, that is, whew, that, that's tough. That is a little bit, that's a little bit offensive there, Paul. And now you know why Paul was writing this from prison. <laughs> yes, it is offensive. The gospel message is offensive. In another place, Paul writes that, that it is foolishness to those who don't have it because they just, they don't see it. They can't see it. And so he's saying, don't live like the unbelievers do. They don't have the first clue of what it means to live like Christ. And anything that they do get right, because I'm not saying that if you don't follow Jesus, you just get everything wrong, but anything that they do get right, it's because they have that image of God imprinted on them. Or it's because they're doing the right things, but they're doing them for just different, not Christ-focused motivations. And Paul goes on in verse 20. He writes, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception 
Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. You know Christ? You've been given a new life? Then throw off the old lifestyle and put on a new lifestyle. You are different. So look different. Paul treats it a little bit like clothes. He said, you've been given this new identity, so take off that old uniform that used to define you and throw it away. The person you were before, your lust, your greed, your selfishness, your lies, your sin, take it off and throw it away and put on the new uniform. Put on the new uniform of righteousness and holiness that has been given to you so that you can look like Christ. And this is so important because I think sometimes we get this sort of like misperception in our heads that when you become a follower of Jesus, when you become a Christian, that there are some things that you have to do to make yourself look like a Christian. Like you're, but we sort of want to keep on the same old uniform. We just want to figure out a way to, you know, straighten up the collar a little bit or maybe clean up some of the scuff marks off the shoes. But pretty much have the same, you know, old thought patterns and old habits that we had before. We want to look like a Christian. We say, oh, well, you know, I guess what Christians do, maybe maybe Christians drink a little bit less alcohol, so I'll do that, you know, straighten up the collar a little bit. Oh, I guess Christians, they don't, you know, they don't use swear words, especially in church, so we're not going to use them here, so, you know, I'll, I'll clean up the shoes a little bit. We think we're gonna like pull a Mr. Rogers where we come in and we change the sweater and we change the shoes, but we can see you're still wearing the same dress shirt and tie We think that we can kind of just sort of, maybe if we just clean up a few behaviors that we're gonna, we're, we're, that, that's what God's looking for. But he doesn't want us to, to you know, clean ourselves up so that we look like Christians. He wants us to take off the old and put on something completely new because we are Christians. It, a new life, it should result in a new lifestyle. In verse 23, it tells, us, it tells us how to do that. It says to let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. It's not about just changing some behaviors here or there because you could fake that. I mean, you could modify a few behaviors so that everybody sort of thinks that you're a Christian, but what God is calling us to is letting him do a complete overhaul of our minds. In Romans 12, Paul says to be transformed by the renewing of your minds by changing or letting the Holy Spirit change the way you think. This isn't just, you know, us acting a little bit different. This is us thinking differently. We aren't just, we aren't driven by the same motivations. We don't have the same attitudes. We don't respond in the same ways. This isn't just a different way of behaving. This is a completely different way of being. Having a new lifestyle means that we think about things the way God thinks about them. It means we approach situations in life the way that God would approach them with a heavenly perspective, with an eternal perspective, the way he designed them to be. And it's so different from the way that our world thinks. Earlier this week or, or, or this past, you know, last week, uh, I, I was reading and it was, it, I was reading about this, this famous celebrity couple who had announced their intentions to get divorced, which unfortunately is not 
a surprising thing in our society. But I was reading this, this article, it was this interview with the wife, soon to be ex-wife in this relationship. And what she said about it was this. She said, life is too short to spend with someone who doesn't have your back. And obviously I don't, I don't know this couple, I'm sure what they're going through is incredibly difficult, but I read that line and it just broke my heart because it is so indicative of the way that our world views relationships. It, it's, if it's not for me, if, if, if I'm not getting what I should be getting, then you know, I, I can get out of this thing. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna ditch this, I'm gonna go off and find something better. It's so different than having a renewed mind by the Holy Spirit and seeing that, that you were put in this place to have relationships for the sake of other people, to honor those people and ultimately to honor God. And, and it's not just in, in these kind of relationships, it's in relationships with people we don't get along with, with our, with our enemies. Our, our world would say, if somebody does something bad to you, do bad to them back, you know, get even or cut that person out of your life. Having a heavenly perspective, having a renewed mind, renewed thoughts and renewed attitudes says, love your enemies, pray for them, want good for them. Having a renewed mind means that we think differently about money and our finances. It means that we are using those things for kingdom purposes, not just to, for ourselves and hoarding and wanting to make our own lives better, but caring for other people in need. I could go on and on about how different it is when you have a mind that has been renewed by the Holy Spirit. It will naturally, your new life results in a new lifestyle. When you think like Christ, your actions will naturally start to look like Christ. And I know for me at this point, I look at this and I say, okay, yeah, that sounds good. You know, I, I am a follower of Jesus. I wanna better follow Jesus, but how on earth do you let the Holy Spirit renew your mind? Like, how, how does one actually do that? It sounds good, but it also sounds like something that I'm sort of like a passive participant in. Like, if the Holy Spirit is going to change me, if he's going to do something different in my life, would he just get around to doing it already? But that's not the case. The truth is that we can be active participants in the Holy Spirit renewing our minds. For instance... What you are doing here right now, gathering together with your fellow believers so that you can worship God and so that you can hear from his word, this is allowing the Holy Spirit to renew your mind. And this is great. So if you were saying, well, what's the first step that I need to take? You've already taken it. Congratulations. Now, back in January, I did something that a lot of us do at the beginning of the new year. I, I, I was looking at myself in the mirror and I said, ugh. You see, in the, in the four or so years it had taken my wife and I to go from being childless to being parents of three, I had sort of let my eating and activity habits get pretty bad. But it was January, and at that moment, I did what many of us do. I resolved to make some changes and to, uh, and to try and get myself back in better shape. And so I started eating healthy and exercising one day a week, and I got fantastic results. I'm being sarcastic. Does anybody know what happens if you eat healthy and exercise one day a week? Pretty much nothing. 
Experts and non-experts alike will tell you that if you want to make any you know, major health lifestyle changes, you've got to change the way you eat for pretty much all of your meals outside of a little cheat now and again. And you've gotta do at minimum several days a week of exercise. This is why a lot of people resolve to make healthy changes and, and don't ever end up following through on it. If you wanna be an active participant in the Holy Spirit renewing your mind, well, just to be frank, this is not enough. One hour a week worshiping our God as fantastic as it is by itself is not enough because if you're only spending one hour allowing the Holy Spirit to work on you and to renew your mind, changing your thoughts and your attitudes, that means every other waking moment is spent in a world that is working against the growth that the Holy Spirit is trying to do in you. It is working against who God is trying to draw you in to being more like him. One hour a week is not gonna get the job done. It's why we need to be in God's word. God has given us his word. The Holy Spirit has written these words down so that we could read them and have our minds renewed. We need to be soaking in God's word every day. I mean, if you're wondering, where do we get the heavenly perspective? How do we find the words that are gonna renew our thoughts and our attitudes? We get them right here. Not my iPad, the Bible. And some of us, some of us, we feel unequipped to approach the Bible. We feel like I open it and I don't even understand what's in there. I'm not even sure what I'm reading. Or maybe you're reading it and you understand it, but you say, I don't know how to apply this to my life. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how this is supposed to change my thoughts and my attitudes. Well, one of the ways that we can be active participants in the Holy Spirit renewing our minds, changing our thoughts and attitudes is to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ, to grow in our understanding of how to read his word, to grow in in what we're learning about our faith and learning about how to share that, that stuff that we're learning with other people. And so, you know, Pastor Matt and I, we were talking about this. This is something that's been heavy on my heart for a while. And, and when I shared with him just some ideas about, about where we would go, he said, said, we just don't, there aren't the times to, to go into some of those basics or to, to handle some of those things in a sermon. You know, we get to touch on some of them, you know, here and there, but we don't have this, this way for people to be trained and equipped like we should. So I'm very pleased to tell you that coming here later this fall, our community life team is going to be launching equipping groups. And what equipping groups are, are short-term opportunities for teaching and training in our faith. They're going to go from like four to nine weeks. Most of them will live more in the six to eight week range. And we're going we're gonna to run different batches of them. We'll do, you know, we'll do six weeks over here where we've got these set groups. And then you can go and you can experience something different. You don't have to sign up for one and be in it until death or Jesus comes back. Like you get to, you get to rotate around. You get to experience new things. You get to take breaks so that you can serve and so that you can teach others what it is that you're learning. But these equipping groups are going to exist to help whether you're someone who is new in the faith and you need the very basics of how do I read my Bible. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? We're going to go there. 
And if you need some of that like next level stuff of, of how do I engage in work and culture with my faith? How do I become a leader as a Christian? Give me some practical things. We're gonna have Financial Peace University, which if you've never experienced it, is just a phenomenal tool to help you grow in how you manage your finances in a way that honors God. We're gonna have advanced stuff. We're gonna have stuff that's like, okay, if you've been at this for a while, we're gonna have these, these Bible classes that are gonna be, we're gonna dig in here and we are gonna go deep. We're gonna have something offered for everybody across the board, opportunities to get equipped so that we can grow in our faith and so that our minds and our thoughts and our attitudes can be renewed by the Holy Spirit. If you're interested, if you wanna know more about these equipping groups, stop by our community life table in the lobby on your way out, grab some information. We can't wait to get those things started. Another way that you can be an active participant in what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life where you can grow beyond just what happens here on a Sunday morning is this, intentional Christian community. I'm the community life pastor, and you might think, well, of course he's gonna talk about community because that's what he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Intentional Christian community. We see throughout the book of Ephesians, and we'll see as we continue to go on that, that our faith was never meant to be a solo sport. Like we need other Christians around us who help us understand that we need Jesus in the first place, and we continually need other believers to help us grow. We need these relationships around us. And, and while, yes, we gather together in this place on a Sunday morning to sing together, to hear God's word together, the truth is that when service is over, you're probably not gonna turn around to the person behind you and say, hey, let's spend the next 45 minutes talking about how that applies to us and what God is doing in our lives. It'd be cool. You can look at the person behind you and see like, hey, you, got, you wanna get this after? Uh, it's probably not gonna happen. But we do have people who are doing this all week long in our church through our life groups. Life groups are groups of Christians, a dozen or so believers and, and other people who are still trying to figure it out who gather together to circle up and to apply God's word, to talk about what he is doing in your life. They get together to encourage one another and to share struggles and to be honest and open and do all of these other things that we're called to do with our fellow believers. They get together to care for each other, to be there for each other in the hard times, to show up with a meal whenever you're sick or to, or to send a text whenever they know you've had a rough day at work or to show up at the funeral home whenever you've lost somebody that you love. These intentional Christian communities, these life groups are to help us grow. And I, here's the thing, I know, I know everybody's busy. I know everybody says, I can't take on one more commitment, you know, with, with work and with school and with my kids, extracurriculars, like I can't do one more thing. Well, there's an old adage and it just says that we make time for the things that are important. And the renewing of our thoughts and our minds the supporting our fellow believers in the faith, the, 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 the growing to become more like Christ, that's important. And so if you want to know more about being connected to one of these communities, about making this big place personal, again, stop by our community life table. We would love to talk to you about getting connected. Now, 
I hope you see that there's very, there's very much a community nature to this new lifestyle. Living a new life automatically means that community is a part of it because it's a very public thing and you're gonna be publicly, you know, people are gonna see your new life and the new lifestyle that goes along with it. So Paul, he concludes this section of scripture by talking about things that we're gonna need to stop doing if we wanna have this community. But we're calling these community killers, He tells us that for our new nature to look the way that it should, there are some things that we're just gonna have to knock it off. We're gonna have to stop doing these things because they will be community killers and we are gonna have a hard time living the life and growing in the lifestyle that God is calling us to. So starting in verse 25, Paul gives us the first community killer. He says, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth for we are all parts of the same body. We talked about this a little bit last week when we talked about serving, and Paul talks about this other places, that we, as followers of Jesus, we're part of one body. We've all been given different, excuse me, different functions, different roles, different responsibilities, different gifts, but all of us are a part of a unified one. You know, some of us are like an eye, and some of us are like a hand, and so forth. Well, what he's saying here is that we can't lie to each other because let's say your eye had the ability to lie to your hand. There's, there's a pan sitting on the stove and the truth is that it is red hot, but your eye lies to your hand and says, no, it's fine, go ahead and grab that. If your hand were to grab it, it would cause major damage, but not just to your hand. It's damaging the whole body. And that's what Paul is saying happens. When we lie, we are doing damage to all of us. You think you might be protecting yourself from something. You think you might be protecting them from something, but you're not. We can't be dishonest with each other. And I think that there's a little bit of tendency sometimes to let ourselves off the hook. It's like, well, I know I'm not, you know, intentionally telling somebody something that isn't true. Like, I know I'm not doing that, but that's not the only way to tell a lie. If you're spreading misinformation or or telling people things because of the lack of information, I mean, is that not lying? You can lie by the things that you aren't saying. Whenever somebody comes up to you and says, well, hey, how's it going? And you say, oh, I'm doing fine. Or, you know, things are pretty good. Whenever the truth is, you know, actually my marriage is struggling. I'm I'm having a really hard time with my kids. I've been wrestling with this secret struggle and I've been thinking that I could get a handle on it on my own, but truthfully, it's not going so well. When we lie, when we withhold the truth, when we aren't open and honest with each other, it doesn't only hurt us, it hurts all of us because we need each other. New lifestyle means we stop lying. Community killer number two that Paul gives us, verse 26. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Paul isn't telling us that we're never gonna get angry, but he's saying you can't let your anger take over. You can't let your anger be the thing that makes you do the things that you do. You know that your anger has taken over whenever you end up doing something that you regret later on when you've cooled off. Whenever you have left that mean note, you've shot off that angry email, you spoke those words that you desperately wish you could take back. 
We cannot let anger control us, nor can we let it sit and fester in our lives. You can't just bottle it up and decide you're gonna hold on to it. Paul says that if we hold on to our anger, if we, if we just bottle it up and don't deal with it, we're giving a foothold to the devil. Christians, that should terrify us. It's saying that you, as a follower of Jesus, by choosing to hold on to your anger, you are giving Satan a spot in your life to work evil against you. And we can't do it. New life means new lifestyle. And you know, I think that Paul put these two things together here because he understands our need for Christian community to grow in this. He says, don't lie, which means sometimes I'm gonna have to tell you something that you don't wanna hear. I'm gonna have to tell you something that I've done wrong that might hurt you. I'm gonna have to tell you something that you've done wrong that you need to grow in, that you need to get better at. And so we need to be honest with each other, but we need to know that we can do it without letting our anger take over. We need to know that we can have these loving, safe places for us to have these conversations and to be able to call out sin in our lives and sin in your lives so that we can all grow. I mean, we all, we all have you know, work environments and, and too many of our homes that have these unhealthy relationships because of partial truths that are told and passive aggressive anger leading to just this horrible unhealth. In our Christian communities, we are called to be something very different. Next community killer, verse 28. If you're a thief... Quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Now, this is another one where we might be a little bit inclined to let ourselves off the hook. We're like, well, you know, I haven't pulled any bank heists lately. I haven't uh, knocked over any casinos, so I'm pretty good at this whole not stealing thing. There's lots of ways to steal. I mean, is there any way that you're cheating others in your life? Is there any dishonesty in your workplace? Is there any way that you're stealing time from your spouse or from your kids on things that don't matter? And even if it's not stealing, even if you aren't just taking somebody from somewhere else and you can say, yeah, I'm not stealing, I'm doing pretty good there, we're only a third of the way into Paul's instruction here. Next he says that you've got to work hard. Even if you aren't stealing anything, you aren't off the hook if you're lazy. If you're somebody who's kind of mooching off the work of other people. If you aren't just getting yourself together and getting around and working hard, then you're, then you're still falling in this camp that Paul is talking to. And then even if you can say, you know what? I don't steal and I'm a very hard worker. There's still another piece that Paul says. Are you given generously? He says that even if you're a hard worker, if you are a hard worker for the intent of just making more for yourself, for just holding on to everything that, that you want, if that's why you work hard, you're still missing this. Because of your new life and the new lifestyle that you're living in, you shouldn't steal, you should work hard, but you work hard for the purpose of giving away. You make more so that you can give more, so that you can meet needs, so that you can bring about God's kingdom here on earth, so that you can be joyfully, gladly generous. 
Next community killer, verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. We're, gonna, we're actually gonna do a whole message series in the month of October on the way that we use our words. So I won't go into this as deeply as I probably could. But the word there used for foul or abusive language, it's meant to evoke the idea of something being rotten, like rotten fruit or rotten fish. Could you imagine going out for lunch today after church and eating rotten fish? It's, I mean, it makes us sick just thinking about it. And it hurts the body when believers do it. And it doesn't matter if we're using foul and abusive language at the person who cut us off in traffic and they can't hear us. And it doesn't matter if we're using it because somebody made a decision that we just really don't like and think is wrong. And it doesn't matter if they used foul and abusive language against us first. We can't go there. The whole purpose of our words in our new life is to build others up, to encourage other people. That's the purpose of our words. And finally, in his community killers, Paul includes this catch-all. He says, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. This is Paul's way of saying, hey, you know what? Even if I didn't list it in here, when I say everything, I mean everything. If it is something in your lifestyle that is making you live like an unsaved person, stop it. And then he reminds us, this beautiful reminder, that it isn't you stop it so that God will love you, but it is because he has already identified you as his own. It is because your salvation in him has already been guaranteed. He's not saying that we're doing this for personal betterment. He's not saying that we're doing this as some kind of self-improvement technique. He's saying that we are sons and daughters of God. So let's display the family traits. And finally, instead be kind to each other. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Church, here's the real kicker. The thing that should make Christians and Christian community so different from anything else in the world. It's that even if someone, Christian or not, does every single one of those things against Paul's instructions, lies to you, steals from you, uses anger and harsh words against you, forgive them. Forgive them. Because that's what Jesus did for us. Because Jesus died on a cross when we were at our worst to forgive us of all that we had done wrong. And so if we want to put on Christ, if there's something that could make our lifestyle look as much like Christ as anything else, it's to forgive others. Because church, we're inevitably gonna mess these things up. 
We're gonna say something wrong. We're gonna do something wrong. We're gonna hurt someone else. And we need each other. We need each other in community. We need to be able to grow together and we need to be able to forgive one another as we all seek to grow to become more like Christ. We're gonna move into our time of communion this morning. And this is a time that we take every week to stop and to recognize the great cost at which our new life was bought. Just how high a price was paid for us to have this new life that we've been given, this assurance of our salvation. We take a piece of bread and a cup of juice to remind us that Jesus died to give this to us. And so as we stop and we reflect this morning, I pray that you would just first and foremost say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have called us as yours that you have adopted us into your family, that you have secured us in you. And then after thanking, just say, Jesus, in light of what you have done, Lord, I want to throw off my old self and I wanna put on something new for the sake of our community, for the sake of our church, and for the sake of the world that desperately needs to know you, Lord Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it challenges us and that it calls us to be different and that it calls us to grow. Lord, we thank you that you have loved us so much that you died on a cross before we made a single change. Lord, before a single one of us took a step towards you, you loved us. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you would continue to grow us now that we are yours. And Lord, for those who don't know you, Lord, we lift them up and pray that their hearts would soften to who you are, that you love them just as they are now, but you don't wanna leave them there. And so Lord, in this time of communion, we thank you, Jesus, for dying on that cross for our sins. We thank you that you have given us new life and we pray that we would be clothed in a new lifestyle that our minds, our thoughts, our attitudes, our hearts would be reshaped, reformed by the work of your spirit. It is in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus, amen.